From Cape Town, South Africa, this is the Bowman's Shipping Podcast. The show about everything and anything to do with ships, the law, and some stuff in between. I'm your host, Jeremy Prane, a maritime attorney and partner at Bowman's, a leading African corporate and commercial law firm. In each episode, I speak to one of my colleagues or an outside guest and do a deep dive into the world of shipping with a legal slant. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. In this episode, I speak with my longtime partner and collaborator, Craig Cunningham. Craig heads up the shipping team at Bowman's and has risen to become a leading individual in maritime law. What has always struck me about Craig in the 15 years or so working with him is his entrepreneurial spirit and ability to seek out opportunities for clients. While these are not qualities one necessarily associates with a lawyer, they have served him well. And certainly one of the best examples I can think of which illustrates his approach was identifying Namibia as a place to enforce ship mortgages while the shipping world, and lenders in particular, were reeling from the 2008 financial crisis. Craig Cunningham, welcome to the Bowman Shipping Podcast. Thanks, Jeremy. Today we are going to be talking about ship mortgage enforcement in Namibia, and for those not familiar with Namibia, it is a country in the southwest of Africa, which is bordered to the south by South Africa and to the north by Angola. Its entire west coast borders the Atlantic Ocean. It has a population of about 2.5 million people and is roughly 3.5 times the size of the UK. Like most African countries, Namibia has a colonial past. And in 1878, the port of Walfus Bay was annexed by the Cape of Good Hope, which was then itself a British colony. From 1884, most of the territory was occupied by the German Empire, which named the country German Southwest Africa, until Allied South African forces took control during World War I, which resulted in effective South African control right up until independence in 1990, at which point the country was renamed the Republic of Namibia. Since gaining independence, the government has placed particular attention on the development and infrastructure of the port of Volfus Bay. And Craig, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about the port and its operations. Thanks, Jeremy. Yeah, so um, the port of Volfus Bay is a, a natural harbour. It enjoys an extensive anchorage and is protected being in a bay and forms part of a, a wider lagoon uh, and estuary. The port itself has been developed over the years to take commercial shipping and in recent years has enjoyed an extensive upgrade as far as the um, container handling facility is concerned. A fair amount of Chinese investment in an extension of the container berths and container working ability of the port. Um, the port itself, to a large extent, is focused on domestic trade and exports from Namibia. Many of these are natural resources in raw form as opposed to processed, although some copper ingots are, are shipped out of the, uh, the port as well. And then from the container trade perspective, Walfus Bay has been promoting itself in the last couple of years on the basis that container trade from Europe to South Africa is able to discharge in Walfus Bay and rail containers into the inland ports, dry ports, city deep and so on around Johannesburg 
um, into Botswana uh, at a much quicker rate than if the container vessels round the Cape and discharge their cargo in Durban, thereby saving several days of delay, of potential delay. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that the port of Walfus Bay has ambitions to rival South African ports and to set itself up as a logistics hub for the region. Turning to the legal system, there's no doubt that South African law, and before that English colonial law, has had an impact on the regime. And I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about the Admiralty law and the procedure and how it works. So Jeremy, you mentioned earlier that the port of Walfus Bay or the enclave of Walfus Bay was annexed some years ago and formed part of the the Cape Colony. As a consequence of that, it fell within the English influence or under Great Britain up until the independence of South Africa, in fact. But the important part about that is that Walfus Bay acquired its admiralty jurisdiction um, through the Cape Courts and more particularly through the 1890 Colonial Courts of Admiralty Act, which exported English law as at 1890 to all of the colonies of of Great Britain, which obviously included the Cape Province and thus the enclave of Walfus Bay. Just to give a little bit of context, as at 1890, the two relevant acts in, uh, in, in Great Britain were the 1840 and 1861 Admiralty Acts, and those two acts provide for definitions of merit, what constitutes maritime claims, and set out, sets out, or should I say, set out both of them together, the procedure um, and rights under um, English Admiralty law as at 1890. And so that Admiralty law was incorporated into Namibia as a result, while it was still under the South African regime. And uh, subsequent to the independence of Namibia, the Namibian High Court has recognized that the Admiralty regime, in fact, still is um, the Colonial Courts of Admiralty Act of 1890. That regime persisted in South Africa, indeed, until 1983, which is when South Africa enacted the Admiralty Jurisdiction Regulation Act. But um, the point of, of, of reminding listeners that um, South Africa had the same regime is that South Africa practiced admiralty jurisdiction under the 1890 Colonial Courts of Act uh, of Admiralty Act up until 1983. And so there's a body of law in South Africa which sets the scene, as it were, for, for what the applicable law is in, in Namibia. Importantly, it's English law as at 1890. And so one of the uh, one of the issues in Namibia in terms of um, general admiralty litigation is that the 1840 and 1861 Act set out what the heads of, of jurisdiction are, not the arrest convention or any of the subsequent amendments either in South Africa or in, in, in the United Kingdom. And so it can be quite challenging when it comes to framing claims relating to matters which arose after 1861, including things like containerized traffic and so on. Yes, I imagine that is difficult because the world of shipping has moved on and the legal regime needs to catch up. I'm interested to know, as someone who has been at the forefront of ship mortgage enforcement in Namibia, what was it that got you interested in the jurisdiction in the first place and to advocate for it? 
One of the issues which came out of the 1983 Act was that when it was enacted, it was quite parochial and inward-looking in terms of protecting South African claimants first and foremost. And the result of that is that ship repairers, who um, had quite an extensive business at the time of the drafting of the Act, um, were having some issues with protecting their claims. And as a result of that, persuaded the drafts people to include claims for uh, ship repair and the supply of necessaries to rank ahead of the mortgage claim, specifically if they arose within one year of their enforcement. Um, And as you will realize from that is that this could open the floodgates for a number of claims, particularly for indigent ship owners who've traveled the world and have run up a lot of debts before the House of Cards fell down for them. The priority that I mentioned doesn't only facilitate or assist South African claimants, it's, it's open to all. So you'll realize from that the mortgagees' ranking or their recovery in South Africa might be less than what they may expect in other jurisdictions, South Africa in this regard being somewhat out of step with uh, regimes in, 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 in other jurisdictions. And as I say, practicing at around the time when the Admiralty Jurisdiction Regulation um, Act came in, I was exposed through partners in Bowman's who had in earlier down cycles, particularly uh, those before 1980, had recommended to bank clients which who, who had brought or who had South Af- vessels in or near South Africa, they'd actually recommended considering the Namibian situation given the fact that English law persists in that territory and the ranking regime there is as per English law and is one of equity in terms of which the mortgagee has much better priority. In fact, uh, it's only the producer of the fund which who will rank ahead of the mortgage claim in, in the Namibian regime. And as a result of that, when asked to advise clients on best practice in the Southern African region, um, Namibia featured very highly in terms of, of uh, those uh, workouts where the mortgagee had some element of choice in terms of, uh, of where the, the vessel would be brought for, for the foreclosure. Yes, and I think that the area around choice is an important one because there are elements of the South African jurisdiction which, although, as you say, has advantages, the downside is very much the mortgage ranking. And typically financiers find themselves in a position of having to foreclose because they are forced to do so, mainly because the ship has been arrested by multiple creditors and there's no way of getting her out of South Africa. Against that background, were there any aspects about the jurisdiction that were a concern to you as you began taking on your first major instructions, given that Namibia was pretty much uncharted territory for international tonnage and financiers? My initial concerns uh, centred around the fact that the foreclosures that Bowman's had been involved in in Namibia prior to, um, to, to my direct involvement there had related to vessels which were either registered in Namibia or were trading or fishing out of those ports and had mortgages which were relatively small by comparison. So the major concern was how the courts in Namibia would receive an approach uh, to foreclose against blue water tonnage, which specifically and quite obviously from the court papers had specifically been brought to Namibia in order to uh, to foreclose and to give the mortgagee the option, at least the rights to sell the vessel judicially using the Namibian courts. And secondly, the state of the Namibian courts, and by that I mean simply their efficacy 
and their ability to quickly and with some certainty from the claimant's point of view deal with the claims and move swiftly from uh, arrest through judicial sale um, to completion of the of the workout. Can you then tell us a little bit about the procedure and how the system works, just to give us some perspective? From a general perspective, uh, the the procedure is relatively similar to what um, to what is ha- what is available in South Africa. There is the ability to proceed directly against the vessel in REM, and uh, the, the 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 process commences with the issue of a summons uh, and a warrant of arrest. And this is preceded by an affidavit to lead warrant, which effectively is an, an, an affidavit or a statement of the claim, sets out the, the nature of the claim and what relief is being sought. But effectively, once the summons and the warrant of arrest is issued, uh, it's served by the sheriff, by physically attending on board the vessel, serving the summons in REM, and thereafter providing returns of service to the court. Uh, what is required after that is an application to the High Court for a, a, an order for the sale of the vessel. And in Namibia, uh, through, through the Colonial Courts of Admiralty Act and the 1840 and 1861 Acts, has the power to sell vessels pendente lite. And so there doesn't have to already have been a judgment issued. The court has a discretion in that regard and will proceed on the basis of exercising that discretion. So the application to sell the vessel judicially will uh, provide facts against which the mortgagee will persuade the the court to issue that sale order, exercise its discretion to do so. And obviously one of the major reasons, one of the major facts which is put up is the contractual rights which the mortgagee has in the finance documentation. Um, And uh, in most finance suites and in the deeds of covenant, there is the right of the mortgagee contractually to sell the vessel if there is a default. Obviously, what is preferable is that the default provisions of the finance documentation have been followed to the letter and the loan accelerated um, if the mortgagee is, is wanting ultimately to foreclose fully and recover 100% on the, on the indebtedness. And of course, there is also the other factors, general factors, which weigh in, uh, including the, the, the condition of the vessel, the fact that it will be a wasting asset, seeing as it's not earning whilst it's under arrest, um, uh, the preservation expenses, which will, which will run up, and so on and so forth. Um, once the um, once once the application is finalised and brought to court, and assuming there's no opposition, the order is made final, and procedures are, are commenced to sell the vessel judicially. Uh, Namibian um, Admiralty law recognises three options as far as uh, judicial sale is concerned. The first is judicial sale by auction, which is held publicly. Um, the court will appoint an auctioneer who goes out and advertises the sale and sets up a date for that auction. Um, given COVID, these auctions have now um, gone almost entirely online. The second option is a private treaty judicial sale, which is where there is already an identified purchaser who wishes to purchase under the the rights of sale um, in the in the uh, finance documentation. And in that situation, the mortgagee and the potential purchaser approach the court jointly. And at the initial hearing, the purchaser will put in a, an offer on terms to the court. 
essentially that offer will be an as-is, where-is offer without any restriction in terms of inspection and so on and so forth. And the court will then grant an initial order indicating that it will make that sale final should there be no opposition. And again, on the return day after notice to all interested parties and a publication, the sale is then confirmed to the identified buyer. And in order to take transfer, the buyer then has to make payment of the purchase price uh, to the registrar of the High Court. Um, The third option is a sealed tender option, which is um, where the court will simply appoint a tender adjudicator to receive sealed bids and the tender adjudicator will open those bids on an appointed date and will make an allocation in terms of the tenders which is submitted to a particular bidder, usually the highest bidder, subject to that highest bidder meeting all of the tender adjudicator's requirements. So it seems that the process in Namibia has built into it a huge amount of flexibility for the applicants for sale uh, and particularly this would be driven by the by the financier or the mortgagee holder um, in those circumstances. And of course, um, being able to direct a sale that is by private treaty or a number of other options uh, allows the financier and their lawyers to structure the best possible outcome given you know the particular circumstances of of any uh, any sale that that they have in mind. The procedure you've described, it sounds very long and possibly very complicated. And I wondered maybe just to give some perspective, if you can give us an indication of the uh, the timelines that are involved, because this is uh, certainly one of the major bonuses about uh, proceeding in Namibia. Uh, if you can give us maybe just a little idea of the the time that it takes uh, and perhaps some of the successes that you've personally had in terms of timing around judicial sales. So you're correct uh, in the sense that there is a a huge element of flexibility. The the relevant legislation, the 1840 and 1861 Acts, do not prescribe the procedures. That's something which has in fact evolved um, over time. And as I said, the court uh, has a, a discretion as to what it may or what it what it will or won't um, uh, order in terms of these sales. And I think it's fair to say that with the number of foreclosures that Bowmans have, have run in, in Namibia over the last um, seven or eight years, is we've built up a, a good rapport with the bench in Namibia. And uh, I think it's fair to say that um, there's a huge element of trust which has been developed, giving rise to the ability to use that flexibility uh, as you've pointed out. In terms of timing, the uh, the process which operates effectively, as I've set out, is uh, an arrest of the vessel and then an application for sale. And in terms of the timing of that, the arrest can take place literally as the vessel arrives within Namibia and service takes place immediately. So the commencement Um, On the basis that the vessel is being brought to Namibia or it is expected, the summons can be prepared ahead of time and um, the the vessel can be arrested as she drops anchor or or takes the berth in in Walfus Bay. The the application for sale can be brought on the basis of an interim order and a final order. Again, if the foreclosure is, is expected and planned, then the application for sale can literally follow immediately after the summons um, has been served on the vessel. 
And typically, the timing for such an application is uh, within three days. The first hearing is within three court days of the of the application being launched. So on the assumption, again, that the application is launched as the vessel is arrested, it's heard three days after the vessel uh, is arrested and, and arrives in the jurisdiction. And um, uh, on the assumption, again, that um, an order is issued at that initial hearing, the return day is about 10 days later to give time for, for publication and service of the, of the order. You can have a final order for sale of the vessel within about three weeks of the vessel arriving in, in Namibia. If the sale form is that of a private treaty on the granting of the final order and immediate payment by the purchaser of the purchase price, what you'll take from this is that you can literally sell the vessel by judicial private treaty sale and transfer ownership to the new owner within three weeks. As far as the auction is concerned, the time-limiting factor is advertising and bringing the sale to the attention of potential purchasers. And in that regard, the after the final sale order is granted, sufficient time simply has to be given to the broker and any other S&P brokers the mortgagee might wish to involve in terms of of getting the the, the vessel out into the market and the the, the, the knowledge of the, the fact that a, an auction is going to take place. So to a large extent, the timing of the auction is set by the mortgagee as to how much um, advertising and marketing the mortgagee wishes to have. And so the, the, the auction route could uh, result in the vessel ultimately being sold and knocked down to the highest bidder within six weeks of arrival, if that's the, the, the timeline that, that one is looking at. From, from the, the perspective of the um, recovery of the fund to the mortgagee, the mortgagee must, uh, of course, go with what the timing is for the for the appointment of the referee and to give the referee sufficient time to receive other claims. And in the ordinary course, um, once the, the vessel is formally sold and, tra- and ownership passes, the referee usually will allow claimants from that date a period of two weeks to submit their claims. And after the claims have been submitted, usually between one and two weeks for objectors to, to file their objections. And it, it is at this point that the mortgagee will be in a position to see if there are A, any objections to claim to its claim, and B, whether there are any claims which rank ahead in accordance with English law of the, of the mortgage. And if there are no objections to the mortgagee's claim and there are no other higher-ranking claims or the mortgagee is prepared to set aside a certain amount in the fund to meet those claims which rank ahead of it, um, it is possible to persuade the, the referee to prov- produce an interim report dealing solely with the mortgagee's claim so as to ensure almost immediate payment of that claim as opposed to uh, the, the process working its way through. Uh, and that in particular, if the sale price is actually ends up being less than the mortgagee's entire claim, as uh, you will realize if that happens, the mortgagee is ultimately um, the residual creditor. They're not being sufficient in the fund to meet any claims which rank behind it. So I think in terms of, of procedure and timing, it's, it's one of the jurisdictions which is particularly quick. 
Um, the certainty angle is there, of course. And as far as the successes are concerned, um, we've acted for a number of international financiers, some of whom have actually brought, as I've said, brought their vessels from places in the Middle East and um, in Asia to Namibia um, on the basis that there is this absolute certainty in terms of the ranking. And they have a track record of foreclosures in Namibia, which give them great comfort uh, to, to uh, as far as the workings of the court are concerned, the timing and the fact that the courts are prepared to deal with these matters as one as ones of urgency. And uh, as I say, the, the fact that there have been good successes in the past um, in Namibia. I think what's important for mortgagees to bear in mind here is that the limited scope of potential claimants under the old Admiralty Acts means that really in terms of maritime creditors, there are, if I'm not mistaken, only really a handful that could possibly assert claims against the fund. And the majority of those rank behind the mortgagee. So that's that's the certainty that you speak about. I think another area that, that is important for, for mortgagees is the payment um, of the funds, the security of the funds. And um, in that respect, as I understand it, if it's a dollar-based sale, as one would ordinarily expect, the flow of funds would remain in dollars, be kept in a in a reputable bank account in the Mabia, and and that situation is is unimpeachable. Is that is that so? That's quite correct. Look, all of those issues are dealt with in the um, in in the sale order as such. And our experience tells us that from a mortgagee's perspective, one of the big issues that they don't want to have to deal with is currency fluctuation. So the Namibian courts recognize claims based in USD or Euro. Um, uh, the, the, The currency is not of issue to them. The vessel is usually sold in that currency, um, and the court order provides the broker with some discretion as to whether to auction in uh, uh, dollars or in euros or in any other currency that they apply. Um, the, 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 the fund account is under the control of the registrar, so that in itself is unimpeachable. It's opened in the currency of the auction. It's held in the currency of the auction, and there are no restrictions when it comes to payments, as I've mentioned. Uh, the referee's report recommends payment uh, in, uh, in in whatever currency, and um, the mortgagee will then take the referee's report and the court order to the registrar, who will then authorize the bank to pay to those creditors um, the claims in the currencies as um, as awarded by the or as recommended by the the referee and and um, confirmed by the court. One of the quirks of the jurisdiction coming from the old Admiralty Acts is that it's necessary for a ship already to be under arrest before a foreign ship mortgage holder can bring its own arrest of the vessel. It seems that that position might have been disturbed somewhat by a decision of the Namibian High Court in 2019 to the effect that if you frame your arrest as a mortgagee for a claim to possession of the vessel, uh, you don't need a prior arrest. What is your personal position on on the judgment and its practical effects, and has it changed the way that you operate in the jurisdiction? Before the the 2019 judgment uh, was handed down, the procedure uh, was such that the that the mortgagee could only bring about a mortgage claim if the vessel had a mortgage registered in a jurisdiction other than Namibia, if the vessel was already under arrest by another creditor. Um, And uh, uh, in order to ensure 
that uh, that that um, the mortgagee's cla- claim was not hindered by this factor in the um, earlier foreclosures that we ran in Namibia, we would ensure that there was, in fact, another arrest by a a third-party creditor. And in some of the foreclosures where there wasn't a situation that the vessel arrived and was arrested by a third party, the, the, the bank or the financier actually took assignment of another claim, most notably a crew claim, for instance, where the mortgagee had actually paid the crew member uh, their salary against assignment of that claim. And so uh, when the vessel arrived, the mortgagee as assignee arrested the vessel on the crew claim and then thereafter proceeded to arrest um, in its own name uh, and it, as, as a result of its own claim, the vessel for the mortgage claim. The 2019 uh, action was, was quite interesting and personally I'm not entirely sure that the court got it right but having said that, uh, that decision wasn't appealed and now stands in, in Namibia. My own personal position and my advice to uh, financiers that we work with in terms of um, proceeding in Namibia is still to take assignment of a claim and to proceed on the basis of the rights that are uh, afforded it in terms of, uh, of, of, the, of the admiralty jurisdiction and the, the relevant acts um, so as not to end up in a position where um, they're having to bring the arrest framed as a claim to possession. Uh, It complicates the matter in circumstances where actually uh, a a quite straightforward and simple position results. What you don't want is to create any doors that uh, or any openings that a recalcitrant owner might exploit in in that jurisdiction to delay uh, the sale. Given the fact that Walfus Bay is still a port which uh, attracts um, a limited amount of, of traffic uh, from an international perspective. It seems that uh, this is a jurisdiction, as far as mortgage enforcement is concerned, as one of choice for financiers in a structured workout rather than waiting for a vessel necessarily to call it Walfus Bay. From that perspective, would it be fair to say that Namibia still is to reach its full potential in attracting business away from jurisdictions of choice like Gibraltar and Malta? Um, yeah, I think I, I think it's certainly not as well known or as well publicised as as um, as Gibraltar and Malta. I think it also depends on positioning. Uh, you know, one of the choices which the mortgagee has to make um, is as to to jurisdiction of foreclosure is, um, you know, how likely it, it is that the vessel is either going to call in that jurisdiction or if it's a structured foreclosure, as you've mentioned, is what the cost of repositioning the vessel is to, um, you know, to that jurisdiction. A number of the foreclosures that we have uh, that we have been involved in, the financiers have elected to come to Namibia. Partially, be, well, mainly because of the of the ease of foreclosure and the timing, but um, that worked out against you know where the vessel was at the time that the mortgagees have taken possession or have, have stepped in or made the decision to to proceed to to foreclosure. And uh, Namibia is sometimes as convenient as um, Gibraltar or Malta in terms of repositioning. The costs are, are pretty similar. And it depends on what type of vessel, because one of the attractions of, 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 of auctioning in Namibia is that the purchaser may be able to take the vessel directly from Walfus Bay to the next port of loading for, for immediate use. And so it's, it's within 
very good um, striking distance of South American ports for the loading of grain by way of example for, for bulkers that are sold there or uh, moving to South Africa to the ports of Soldana for iron ore loading or for Richards Bay for, for coal. So I think th- there are a number of attractive factors I think that it's a hidden gem as far as financiers are concerned. It's not quite out there uh, in, the li- uh, in, in the same way that Gibraltar and Malta have been. And I think that it will, as more and more successes are, are, are had by um, financiers with workouts, I think it certainly will, will grow in terms of stature and ability. It's important to note that um, from, uh, uh, from an advantage point of view that uh, Invariably, if vessels are arrested in Walfus Bay, whether it be at the berth or at the anchorage, that the port will allow them to remain at the anchorage. Uh, it's a very, very safe and calm anchorage, a big anchorage. It's not a port which is overworked. And um, the result of that is that the port costs are minuscule by comparison. It's interesting that you describe Walfus Bay and Namibia as the hidden gem. And perhaps you can give me an idea of the broad profile of the banks which have taken advantage of Namibia. So, Jeremy, we've acted for a number of uh, of the original German finance uh, houses based in Hamburg, as well as some of the of the Asian banks. And more recently, given the shedding of portfolios, shipping portfolios out of uh, German banks, some of the American funds who've um, who've bought up those loans. And so it's it's quite a broad based group of clients, I think that uh, that that we've worked for. Well, Craig, thank you very much. I think that there's a lot to be said about Namibia. I think that it's a jurisdiction where there are lots of possibilities for mortgagees and we hope that in time these will come to their attention and continue to to flourish in this area. That's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to give us a rating or write a review. And until next time, thanks for listening.